It is the Preacher's Podcast for Proper 14 in Year C. I have set my face like flint. The pre-incarnate Son of God said that through Isaiah chapter 50. And in this section of the Pentecost season in Year C, we've been following Jesus as he fulfills those words. Luke 9.51 has Jesus setting out resolutely for Jerusalem, focused on the cross and resurrection, focused on humanity, whom he will redeem and rescue, focused on us and driven by love for us. Today, we conclude the second series of this Pentecost season in year C. Focused has been the theme of this worship series. Jesus is focused. And through his words, he has been imparting focus to our lives of faith. We see things more clearly. Each week, as we hear Christ's words, we gain focus as we follow him. Today, we're thinking about the reading for the Sunday that falls on or between August 7th and 13th in year C. That would be proper 14. The theme tying the readings together this week is focused living properly values heavenly treasure. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. With me today is Pastor Nathan Nass of Christ the King Lutheran Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Pastor Nass has been with us throughout this whole series. And also with us today, Professor Alan Sorum, who teaches New Testament and Missiology at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. And Professor Sorum is also a member of the Pastoral Studies Institute team. Nathan Nass, uh, let's get started with you. Could you give us a short introduction to the theme for this final Sunday in the Focused series? Sure. If you've been following along in our focus series, these last two Sundays, weeks four and five, both focus on the concept of wealth. If you preached on the lesson from last week, Luke 12, we heard of the, the parable of the rich fool, and Jesus pointed out some of the, the problems of wealth, and the specific problem that he pointed out was greed, and the answer was, was properly valuing God's gifts to us and our identity in Christ here on earth. Today, we again hear Jesus in Luke 12 talking about wealth. We have the familiar verse, where your treasure is, there your heart shall be. Uh, but the suggested sermon text of this week is not the gospel. It's, it's from Hebrews chapter 11. And different from last week, the, the challenge we see in God's word today isn't so much greed as it is worry. And when our lives don't match up with our expectations. And the, the great gospel comfort that we hear in Hebrews chapter 11 is that our treasures aren't really built up in this world. There's a city in heaven that God's created for us. And so last week we, we talked about greed and our identity in Christ. Today, we focus more on worry and on God's promise to us of, of treasures for us in heaven. Yeah, thank you, Nathan. Um, I'll mention the other scripture readings for the day. Uh, as Nathan mentioned, we're going to be uh, focusing on Hebrews 11, the second reading as the suggested sermon text. Uh, the gospel for this week is Luke 12, 22 to 34. Jesus' familiar words telling his disciples not to worry about what to eat or drink, uh, very similar to his words in Matthew 6. Here it's in the context of that travel narrative. So Jesus is focused on the cross, making his journey to the cross, saying something also about his disciples' journeys, too. Uh, don't worry, Jesus says, and then he lists uh, several reasons. I'll just give my 
quick uh, summary of some of those reasons. Uh, number one, don't worry because your father cares for the birds and flowers and you are much more valuable than they are. So he will certainly provide you with what you need for your life. Number two, don't worry because worrying doesn't do any good anyway. Um, Jesus says, who of you can add a single hour to his life by worrying? Nobody can, doesn't do any good. Number three, don't worry because the pagan world runs after what to eat or drink. And you, of course, Jesus says, or is implying you're different. Um, number four, don't worry because your father already knows what you need. It's not as, as if you have to worry uh, so that he becomes aware of your needs. Of course, he already knows all those things. And five, don't worry because you already have the kingdom. Your father has already given you the kingdom. So instead of worrying, you can, as Jesus says, seek his kingdom. Uh, you can be generous in giving away your possessions to those in need because you already have the most valuable thing there is. Uh, then much like last week, but with an emphasis on heavenly treasure, uh, Jesus concludes with these words, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A uh, connection we might see with the other readings is, um, of course, the, the whole reading is connected, the whole gospel, but especially in verse 28, when Jesus says, you have a little faith. Uh, and then really the uh, encouragement he's giving is, um, well, you, you don't have to be of little faith because here are all the reasons that build up your faith. Um, the Father knows your needs. He will provide for you. You can live in that confidence, in that trust. Uh, the first reading for this Sunday is Genesis 15, 1 through 6. So the faith theme is, is quite evident here, too, the Lord's promise to Abram. Um, so God comes to Abram, do not be afraid. I am your shield and your very great reward. Abram, though, responds with a question. Well, what can you give me, Lord? Uh, because the thing I want most of all is a child, um, and I don't have one. Even though you promised me one, my servant is going to end up be, having to be my heir. And so God responds by repeating his promise. You will have a son, your own flesh and blood. Uh, and more than that, look up at the sky. Your descendants will be more numerous than the stars. And then, of course, the um, verse about faith that Paul will expound on in Romans, Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. So a solid relationship with God is based not on what we achieve or do for God. It's based on trusting God's promises, the promises that he freely gives. So I'll stop there and... Uh, Go to our guest for more on the second reading, which we are suggesting as a sermon text for this Sunday. Uh, Professor Sorum, could you get us started in thinking about Hebrews 11? Uh, 11 verses 1 to 3 and then 8 through 16 is the second reading. Um, preachers have done their text study at this point, we're assuming. Um, could you get us uh, get the wheels turning for us about uh, as we think about preaching this text and just highlight anything you'd like. I'll turn it over to you. 
Thank you. And because there's so much in this text, uh, highlighting is, is a, a very good word to use. Um, I think the, the first really significant challenge is just figuring out what the author means with verse one when he, when he says uh, faith is the hypostasis of things that we hope for and the elenkas of things we don't see. I think part of what makes verse one hard for us is, you know, we think of uh, a hypostatic union or we think of the essential attributes and we, we go into Aristotelian logic and systematic theology. And, and I think that's why we struggle with this first verse. If we think in more concrete terms and, and look more at the word um, like a foundation, faith Faith is a foundation of the things that we hope for or the structure of what we hope for. And elenkos is a kind of an interesting word. It's convicting proof or convincing proof. It's a very convincing proof of, of realities that we don't see. So when, when you think of faith as that is, is give structure to what we hope for, or faith is the foundation of what we hope for. Faith is that which makes us absolutely certain of the reality of things that we don't see. Uh, I think these are really appropriate ideas to communicate to our current, our current population, the people that are sitting in pews in front of us. We have to, as the author did in the first 10 chapters, he preached Christ, the great high priest, with such convincing reality and stressed over and over and over again that he's this superior reality. He's, he's not the uh, shadow, but he's the reality that the shadows could just um, promise or look forward to. So Christ is that absolute convincing proof. Christ is the absolute foundation of, of our faith. So what happens in the author's mind, I believe, is that with, with the kind of faith that the author has worked hard to create in the hearts of his readers in the first 10 chapters, invisible things are absolutely certain. There's just no doubt about things that we don't see and hope for because of the, of the way he has preached Christ, our great high priest who offered the sacrifice and was the sacrifice that gave us a clear conscience before God. So, you know, that, that's, my, uh, that's my best short effort to, to, get, on, to get at hypostasis and elenchus. And then, um, and it's in this respect, having this kind of absolute certain faith that allows them to see things that aren't there, that, that, that allow them to behave as though the things they're hoping for are absolute reality. These are the kind of things that uh, the elders were well approved of, you know, obviously by God, God approved of their certain faith. Uh, then in verse three is very interesting. It's, if, if at first glance, it seems like what's verse three doing in there? Um, <laughs> by faith, we naumen that the that the world was created by the utterance of God. Uh, I, I, that's a fun verse to think about. Like, what is it doing in there? I think he starts off by saying, "You want to know how powerful the spoken word of God is? Just look at what it accomplished on 
in the very, very beginning. Uh, he's, he's kind of given a foundation for how we can be so absolutely sure about what God says is true, because that word is so incredibly powerful. It created the heavens and the earth with a mere utterance, with a mere raiment. Um, I think that's that's really under uh, that's really interesting, and and the, the word naoman is interesting. It's it's not no, it's it's grasp. By faith, we're able to grasp. It's just uh, just a little bit different than no. And then we uh, <clears throat> shoot down to verse eight, where we <clears throat> we we receive. Uh, Abraham and Sarah as examples of this kind of absolute certain faith <clears throat> that that Abraham was willing to leave his homeland, which he could see, to go to a place that would be a future home and a home for his descendants that would be as numerous as the stars that he couldn't see. He was able to. He, uh, the author holds up Abraham and Sarah with as examples of these people who have this incredibly solid, strong, strong faith. Um, just a, in, a, 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 in verse 10, you have the, the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. What the, as, as the author likes to do, he gives lots of little tips and hints of things to come. That's really the, one of the author's favorite things to do. And he, I think he's given a real interesting tip um, into chapter 12, the next chapter, where he's talking about um, the, the glory, the, the difference between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion and the unshakable Mount Zion and the things that are unshakable. And here he, he, he might be tipping his hat just when he talks about the city that Abraham was looking forward to, the city that he couldn't see, but the city that uh, the, the foundation was, was laid by God. Another thing I think is fun to notice, or just don't miss that almost 20 times in this chapter, the author uses um, by faith in the date of pistai almost 20 times. But in look at verse 13, the one example of katapistan apethanan autopontus. Um, these all died not by faith. I mean, you don't die by faith, right? I mean, what does that mean? But they died living out their faith. They died in alignment with faith. Um, not a, a pretty important distinction, I think, and something that you could certainly uh, make a, an important contribution to a sermon just by pointing that out. <clears throat> and then I think the last thing that I would point out is in verse 16 that all these you know the people like Abraham and people like Sarah uh, people who had this really strong faith that made them think and behave as though things that weren't seen were actually in front of them and real and live that they they were waiting they were waiting for uh, something better and and Critinus, Critinus is, is one of those words that the, the authors used a lot, like um, how Jesus is better than the angels, superior to the angels, superior to Moses, how, how the, uh, old, the new covenant is superior to the old covenant. 
um, that's a very common theme, but, but here he points out that, that uh, the city that they're, they're waiting for a better city, a heavenly one, and they're reaching for it. Uh, that the word Oregon time literally means they, like they were reaching for it. Um, the, a lot of energy, a lot of energy in that word, a lot of emotion and passion in that word. I think um, fun to think about that. Like the, the thing that I, the challenge for preaching on this chapter is to make sure that you're preaching not about faith or you're not talking about faith or doing a treatise on faith, but you're actually doing what the author is doing. Uh, in the first 10 chapters, he preached the gospel that created faith. And after 10 chapters of preaching the, some incredibly gorgeous gospel that creates faith, now in chapter 11, he says, this is what that faith looks like in the lives of God's faithful children. So I think um, when, you're, when you're preaching on a chapter that's about faith, um, it, it's good to keep in mind that we do what the author himself did, and that is make sure we're preaching the gospel that produces faith, so we're not just only um, talking about faith. Yeah, that's a very good point. I, I appreciate your note on verse 3, because you're right, at, at first it seems kind of... Uh, out of place. I thought we we're talking. You know, I thought we we're going to be talking about people, the heroes of faith, or the Hall of Fame, faith chapter. But well, number one, at uh, verse three, takes us all the way back to the very beginning. But uh, yeah, I, I appreciate what you said about how this really establishes the basis for all the faith that we're going to be reading about. It's the the Hrema Theu. Uh, it's the utterance of God, the promises that God gives that called everything into being in the first place, uh, that is going to be what animates the faith of Abraham and Sarah and the other patriarchs. Why did they do what they did? Uh, well, because they had their rhema, theu, uh, their promise of God given to them too. Um, so maybe, yeah, anchoring uh, a sermon on this in, in that concept could help you preach not just about faith, but point people back to the, the source of faith. Uh, Nathan? Yeah, along with that, uh, Professor Storm, I appreciate your comment, not just to preach about faith. And when I was doing my text today, I noticed, especially in the end of verse 11, and there's some textual questions about verse 11, who's the subject of which verbs, but just the last four words that, starting with piston, you have all this about the faith of these believers, but then there's an adjective for God, that God is piston. God is faithful. And so she or he considered the one making the promise faithful. And I just thought it was cool to, to see that, that adjective, piston. Our God is the one who's faithful. That's why we can have faith. And then to have that, that participle, the one promising, that would be a good title for our God. He's the promise maker. We have a promise maker who is faithful and God's people recognize that and experience that. And we have too. And that's what our faith is based on. Our promise maker is our promise keeper. Yeah. Yeah. Promise maker is the promise keeper. Um, yeah. And that certainly runs throughout that these verses too. Um, how do you, uh, yeah, you're right, Alan. There's just so much you could highlight in these verses. Um, and so they're so rich. 
maybe one thing that comes to my mind is verses eight through 16. And I remember we mentioned this, um, maybe it was last week or the previous week, um, where uh, we had a, an allusion to an Old Testament uh, narrative, um, and we made the comment, um, don't take for granted that people uh, to whom you are preaching in, uh, in our current age know the Old Testament narrative, even one, I mean, this is a, a famous one. Um, I know we, we, it was Sodom and Gomorrah, I think, that was referred to uh, recently. Um, maybe there's an opportunity, uh, you don't want to preach on a different text, but it's right here in Hebrews 11, a quick recap of the promise given to Abraham and Sarah, um, the, the new homeland, the, the son coming from Abraham's own body. There's that connection strongly, of course, with Genesis 15, um, but it might be an opportunity not to assume that listeners are familiar with the Old Testament account referred to here. Just give a quick recap of that. Um, uh, how about law and gospel themes? Um, we've been touching on some of them, certainly the gospel truths here, the faithfulness of God, the promises made by God, the power of his word. Um, what might you see in terms of a malady or a, a problem that is here um, that you'd bring out in your sermon? Nathan? Especially those verses 8 to 16, there's such a focus on, on heaven and how these heroes of faith, as they lived their lives, they weren't focused on this world. They knew they had the city with foundations coming. And I have to admit, just personally for myself, that I'm not, I'm not like that. I don't go through each day just anxiously longing for, for heaven. And I don't, I don't think a lot of our people do. It's so easy to get wrapped up in the concerns of this world. And to me, that ties well with the gospel lesson from Luke 12 about where your treasure is, there your heart shall be, and worries. And I think a, a malady you could use in this text is, is that when I, when I put my treasure or my hope or my expectations in this world, um, one, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not faithful like God's people have been, but the result of that is, is worry. And why, why do we have so many worries in our hearts? It's because... My eyes are fixed on things in this world and not on my, my heavenly home. So I wonder if the malady couldn't focus on, on those ideas, not having our focus on heaven, and the result being the fear and worry and anxiety that we so often live with. Yeah, so another gospel too, right, uh, from Luke 12. Uh, Alan, a thought in regards to this? Yeah, just to keep in mind the the malady that the author was addressing in the first place with this whole letter, his people were drifting away from the strong moorings, going back to a cultural, tribal, um, pagan religion. You know, they're going back to the the ceremonies that that Christ had set aside and fulfilled, or or perhaps also they were. Um, trying to escape persecution. Um, again, that's why I think, you know, Hebrews is such a relevant message for our people today. <clears throat> There's so much cultural pressure for us to turn our back on the objective truths of scripture and the, the, uh, <laughs> the fact that Jesus, you know, he says, he doesn't say, I'm one of the many ways out there, please consider me. You know, he, he says, I am the way. 
So there's a lot of pressure on uh, Christians today to like, I don't want to say sell out, but that word comes to mind um, to escape pressure, to escape the persecution of holding on to and, and holding out the truth. And what's what's the antidote? The antidote is the the to see the unseen in so strongly by faith that it's as though he's sitting across the kitchen table from you. That's the the antidote. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. So, so another way to approach this text is um, remembering the overall context of the letter to the Hebrews and kind of the the root malady that is there. Um, yeah, letting go of Christ in favor of something else, which is never going to measure up to what we have in him, right? Um, uh, so, uh, Nathan? Yeah, just one more th thought about that. Um, as I think about, Professor, you're saying selling out to, to culture or focusing on this world, I, I think there's a huge danger for us, especially in the United States, that we really get convinced that this place is our home. And there's a lot of patriotism, which can be a very good and positive thing, but it can also be a very faith-destroying thing that my hope is built on this country. And I think this lesson speaks very strongly against that. If you and I feel like we're at home right now, and if our hope is placed in any entity here on earth, we're missing what our faithful forefathers noticed that our hope is really in heaven. And I just think about the posts I see people make on Facebook and people are much more willing to, 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 to speak about their faith in the United States sometimes and their faith in Jesus. And to remind our people, our, this isn't our home. If, if this world is your home, then you're missing the, me the message of the Bible. Yeah. We're on the other of side yeah. of that. Oh, go ahead, Alan. I'm sorry. Um, on the other side, uh, of people who from a different political con uh, persuasion would think, oh, my hope is now dashed. You know, the my political party is not in power. So my goodness, how, how am I going to move forward when, you know, the, the encouragements that the author gives us through Abraham and Sarah, who were, they, they, there was a better city whose architect was God. That's the one they're really looking forward to. That's their... Uh, that's the nature of their, their hope. Right, yeah. Uh, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth, um, looking for a country of their own. Yeah, that's just a, a radically different orientation. Uh, Nathan? And, and to that, in verse 13, there's the phrase, they did not receive the things promised. And that just sounds strange, doesn't it? So all these faithful people didn't actually get what God promised them because those promises weren't all tied to this life. It was in the life to come. And don't be surprised, Christians, if you don't get what, what you think you should get in this world, because God's grace promises there's another world yet that we get to enjoy. Great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how about um, uh, ideas that might help preachers in, uh, I don't know, structuring this sermon or... Um, how would you approach it? Uh, I, and I, I know that, Alan, you, uh, when you work, especially with PSI students, um, work with more of a narrative style um, or uh, not so much a, a Western thematic style. Um, 
any ideas for preachers? And I, I'm not expecting you to have a theme and parts fleshed out yet or a, a, an expanded outline ready to hand in to your homiletics prof, but any ideas for how you might approach communicating some of these uh, law and gospel thoughts we've been talking about? Well, you stole my thunder, Jonathan. Uh, I, I, the way I would approach it is going into the narrative of Abraham and illustrating the, the glorious truths that the author is systematizing, spelling out very clearly. Yeah, so you use that narrative that the, the Holy Spirit provides for us here, Abraham, Sarah, uh, looking for and longing for a, a different country, a country of their own, um, not being, not saying, okay, well, we've got everything that God ever promised us so we can settle down and be happy now, but always looking for more words from God or uh, God to fulfill the words that he's already given to us. Well, I, I, the high point for me in Abraham is he's called a friend of God. And uh, he's clearly uh, received the most incredible promise from God in Genesis 12, the first three verses. I, I think the promise that he didn't see, the deluxe promise that he didn't see, was that he would be a blessing to all, every person on planet Earth by providing the human ancestry for the universal Savior. And he, you know, he, he didn't see that promise, but that was the most incredible driving important promise for him that, that through his human flesh, he would provide a savior for all the nations and anyone who trusted in that savior that came from his flesh would be one of his spiritual descendants um, that is a that is a narrative beyond all narratives, and would just allow a person to be very concrete and specific as he's describing the the utter conviction in Abraham and Sarah's heart that allowed them to behave in a way that uh, they had their Jesus with them in the tent when they were uh, waking up in the morning. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, he's he becomes the granddaddy of all granddaddies, uh, the Av, the Avraham. Uh, but here he is, um, or as we meet him in Genesis 15, as yet childless. Um, but the promise of God is there, and we know that that there's so much power packed into that, and and such the this future that Abraham could scarcely imagine. Um, Nathan. As I thought about structuring this sermon, I've thought especially about that, that phrase that, that these believers recognize that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And I think that's a strong enough concept. You could, you could really use that to, to hold a sermon together. Um, I think our people realize that. I mentioned sometimes we're tempted to think that this country is our home or things like that. But, you know, every time there's a disappointment, every time we sin and fall, every time there's a death, it's all reminding us this place isn't really my home. I'm, I'm a stranger here. I'm an alien here. And that could be a way that you could, you could put your, your sermon together. Just an example maybe to start off would be, um, there's been a lot of talk about actual aliens lately in society. And the Pentagon actually did a big study of, of aliens. And in June 2021, they released their, their findings and their big findings after studying over 100 cases uh, was that we don't know. And 
you could tell your people what well, there actually are there are strangers and aliens here and and it's you and god wants you to see that and we can use the story of abraham to show you that um we're, we're foreigners and aliens here in this world heaven's our home yeah yeah uh, and that and that is the faith building truth isn't it that uh we have this new identity given to us by god a beautiful home that we are waiting for uh citizenship um in something uh, in a place that is is beyond this world yeah uh and we can live with that confidence supported every day by the word the the utterance of god that he has given to us in christ um any uh, thoughts, further thoughts on illustration, application of uh, the truths we've been talking about, Nathan? I've been blessed and sometimes during my ministry to work with Hispanic immigrants in the United States. And I, I found that this lesson really resonates with, with them. People who are living in the United States from a different country, they're, they're keenly aware that they're strangers, maybe even more aware than what we think that they are. They know this isn't my, my home. I don't fit in here. And so uh, when I've used this, this text with, with people from outside the U.S. who are here, um, it's just been really, it's been really kind of empowering to me to see how this, this has hit home. Yep, we're strangers here. This is never going to feel like home, but heaven's my home. And that's what I'm looking forward to. I, I really learned a lot from people like that going with this text. Yeah. Yeah. Alan? I just want to second what Nathan has said. Um, I, I get to serve a lot of refugees in different parts of the world. The, the world is just having more and more and more political crisis, creating more and more and more refugees, creating more and more pre, uh, opportunities to preach the gospel to people that are, are so desperate, they don't have a lot of reasons to not listen to the gospel. And it, it's ministering to people in that condition, that those straits that finally help me understand what Nathan's talking about, that, uh, you know, this place isn't supposed to be comfortable. And when I get too comfortable, I'm, I'm kind of missing out on the comfort of longing for a city whose foundation was built by God. I um, just wanted to second what Nathan was saying there about what we can learn from people for whom it's not a, a, a an odd construct to think about what it might be like to be a foreigner or an alien. Nathan? Maybe one more gospel application would be Professor Sorum has mentioned the importance of knowing the whole book of Hebrews and just that Jesus is better. That's really the, the theme of Hebrews, isn't it? Jesus is better. He's better than angels. He's better than Moses, better than the high priest, better than sacrifices. And just to go back to that, God has kept every promise that he's made in Jesus. And so much better than what we could have imagined. And that's what gives us the confidence. He's going to keep his promises, too, about, about heaven. I can be absolutely confident of what I don't see because God's already done everything he promised for me in Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Ellen, uh, the word that pops up in Hebrews 11, kratonus, I guess it's in the, I think it's in the genitive in, in our text here, but yeah, kraton, that word better, I think of too as uh, just a key word throughout Hebrews. Jesus is better, 
the promises of God are better. The city with foundations that we're longing for is better. Um, and uh, how the writer just continually points people to that. Yeah, don't go back. Don't go back to what you have, where you're comfortable, where you feel safe, because that's not really your home. Uh, it's not really where you belong, finally. Um, we have something better. Uh, so that, yeah, that's a uh, just such a comforting gospel truth. Um, yeah, thanks for those, uh, both sharing your experiences with people who know what it is like firsthand uh, to be in a place that doesn't feel like home. Um, and it, yeah, it's, I think, really uh, good for us and especially for um, people who have lived in the U.S. all their lives, maybe a different perspective, a valuable perspective that can shed light on this text, too. Uh, Nathan? Uh, can I ask you, you two a question? Um, so verse 9, you have this that Abraham knew that he was a, a foreigner and he, he was living in tents. And you've got the word nice there. The word skenice, it always makes me think of John 1, verse 14, where Jesus came and lived among us. And the verb is, is that same, it's the same root word, tented. Jesus tented here among us. Would you say that's, that's a, a proper connection to make in a sermon as Abraham lived in tents, knowing that heaven was his home? Jesus came down and tented here to open up heaven for us. Is that good preaching or is that making a connection that's maybe isn't there? It's, it's definitely there, but the author makes another connection throughout the whole letter. He's saying that um, the old covenant dealt in only shadows that, that you couldn't even, um, the, the Holy Spirit used the, the, the curtain in front of the tabernacle as a way of saying you you can't you can't get to the true presence of God, uh, um, you you don't know how to get in the true presence of God because that way hasn't been broken through yet. Christ provided not entrance into a skene but into the actual true throne room of the Most High God. So that's a huge connection. Um, you know, you, the, the author started with that in the first couple chapters, right, where he establishes that Jesus Christ is a true human being, not merely a human being, but truly a, a human being that, that, if you will, tented among us. And he tented among us so he could get, break us out of the, the tabernacle tent, which was just kind of like a tinker toy toy, but uh, into the actual reality of God. That's one of those huge thoughts, Nathan. Like, how do you compress this and communicate it in, in like a 15, 20-minute sermon? I don't know. Pretty scary, uh, pretty scary uh, challenge. Yeah, especially when there's all, all these uh, kind of the writer to the Hebrews. I mean, this is throughout the, the letter pointing back to these huge things, you know, huge concepts or narratives of, of the old Testament. Um, yeah. The, the word tense, I think there, there's something there, you know, about um, impermanence. Uh, so Abraham uh, lived in tents. Um, you know, a tent is not a, a permanent dwelling. It's a temporary dwelling. It's a movable dwelling. Um, maybe there's something there. The, the spirit is communicating through the writer here. Uh, you know, that's our life in this world too. Um, 
maybe we ought to view ourselves as living in, tent, in a tent, um, not in, uh, hey, I built a permanent home and this is my forever home. No, it's, it's, it's a tent and uh, it's impermanent, but there is a permanent home to which we are headed. Which is a great law starting point, jumping off point, isn't it? Like, uh, like uh, should we be so comfortable? Mm-hmm. Um, I th- it would be uh, a fun challenge to see how uncomfortable um, a preacher could make us um, before he comforted us with the gospel, before he helped us realize that you know, comfort isn't the objective. Comfort isn't, we don't cope with our loneliness or don't cope with our not being citizens on this earth by making ourselves comfortable. Um, Interesting starting point. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you both for a great discussion on Hebrews 11. Um, Just to, to recap a couple points that we mentioned, um, the, uh, the chapter, of course, is about faith. This is the famous faith chapter in the Bible, or one of them. Um, but maybe uh, uh, an encouragement to preachers, not just to preach um, uh, about faith or a definition of faith, even though verse one kind of, you know, points us in that direction, um, root faith in what gives and strengthens faith, and that is the word of God, the promises of God. And then I think uh, those verses 8 through 16 really make it more concrete, too, um, with the the Abraham and the patriarchs and living by faith and dying by faith, uh, too, kata pistin. Um, So point people to Christ to the promises of God that are unshakable, to the the home that we have waiting for us, the kingdom that he's given to us, um, so that we can see ourselves in that light um, as we journey through this world to the city with foundations. Uh, Thanks again, Professor Sorum, uh, Pastor Nass, and wish all preachers out there wrestling with this beautiful text, God's blessings as you proclaim the word.